Hey, New Life Student Ministries, Pastor Chase and Pastor Victor here. Hey, we are so excited to take you for the next few weeks into some questions that you all have submitted through social media about your faith. Hey, first and foremost, we just wanted to say thank you for trusting us with your questions. One of the things I love about Christianity is that it's a faith and, it, and we serve a God who is bigger than us. If we understood everything and had no questions about our faith, I don't think that's a faith that we could trust in because it's something that we can grasp. But what I love about the lifelong journey of a long obedience in the same direction is that along the journey, you have questions. So we want to help you. We don't have all of the answers, but what we encourage you to do is just take the first steps by asking the questions, hearing some of these responses, engage in conversation, but most importantly, refer to scripture. Scripture is our guide. Scripture is our roadmap. The psalmist said that our, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This is how we walk this lifelong journey of faith. It's not what we understand and what we can reason. We can't even put all of our trust in people. People can help. Mentors can help. Pastors can help. But at the end of the day, the Lord left us the word of God that we might know him more and that we might trust him in the things we don't understand. So speaking about that, that's where we want to start with kind of this little mini series of talking about some questions about our faith is scripture. So Pastor Chase, go ahead and answer that first question for us. How do we know the Bible is reliable? Amen. It's awesome. I always start this question by going to the Bible. And some people think that it's kind of circular reasoning. Like how can you prove the Bible is true by using the Bible? But as Christians, if we don't believe that the Bible can answer those questions, then we're, in a sense, disproving it already. Yeah. So we're going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, starting. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we had this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the days dawn till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own inter interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit mm. that's a beautiful passage that testifies to the truth of scripture and the biggest thing that we have to understand is that scripture then is first and foremost a book of eyewitness testimony. There are over 40 different authors, 66 different books written on three different continents over a period of 1500 years in three different languages. Yeah. Wow. Imagine if we were to get 40 different people who lived, you know, hundreds of years ago and some who never met each other, all spoke different languages and we were to say, "Okay, I'm going to give you a year to write a story. Go." And then after that year, we compile all those stories and the odds of them telling the same story <laughs> is unheard of. Well, right. we have that over 1500 years from Genesis to Revelation wow. and it tells one story. Wow. That's unbelievable. Another thing that we do know of too is that there's so many different manuscripts of the Bible and what a manuscript is, is like original handwriting of the Bible. So if you ever heard of this guy named Julius Caesar, there's this story called Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars. We only have like 500 manuscripts of that. Mm -hmm. And it was written years and years and years and years later. I'm talking hundreds of years. And we don't really question Julius Caesar's existence. Mm -hmm. But for the New Testament alone, we have 6,000 
thousand manuscripts. Wow. They were written within a generation, meaning that eyewitnesses were still alive when they were written. And then we have so many that we can prove it to be true right then and there. And yet, we question if Jesus was ever a person or wow. if all these things were true. Now, let me address that really quick, too. Yeah. Is there are secular historians, Jewish historians, um, people like Josephus, an ancient Jewish historian. They all confirm that Jesus was born, lived, and died under the hands of Pontius Pilate, the Roman crucifixion. Mm. That is historical. So then we can move from there and we can move into the testimony that scripture gives about Jesus. And we can understand that Jesus himself was the person who, yes, lived and died under crucifixion, but then he was raised to life. And how do we know that? Well, there was an empty tomb, first and foremost. Secondly, there was eyewitness testimony, which Second Peter talks about. Yeah. Third, his enemies confirmed that there was an empty tomb by lying to cover it up. Yeah. They, if he wasn't really raised from the dead, they could have said, here, come here, you foolish disciples. Let me show you his dead body. They didn't do that. They panicked because he was gone. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. they also have over 500 eyewitnesses who saw him after the resurrection, mm -hmm. many of whom were still alive during this writing. Yeah. So it's pretty phenomenal that we have so much evidence, yeah. um, and yet so many people think that we don't have a lot of evidence, but yeah. just look and see, and it's, it's really important to see that. Yeah, that's so good. Would you speak to this at all of, you know, we have all of these religions, you were talking about that. How do we know that Christianity is the one true religion? Yeah, I get that question a lot. Especially in high school, I was very much like, let's go do Bible studies, let's go do prayer meetings. And so a lot of people knew that I was a Christian. And so a lot of people were asking, like, Chase, how do you know that Jesus is the one true God? How do you know that Christianity is the one true religion? Doesn't Islam say that it's the one true religion? Doesn't Judaism say it's the one mm. true religion? And so many others. And the answer is yes. We all claim exclusivity. Truth, by definition, is exclusive. Wow. You can't have multiple truths that are all wow. true in one thing. That's good. So the question is, which one is true? And I wrestled with that question a long time. It wasn't just like a, well, let me tell you right away. I had to wrestle with it. Yeah. And a great place that I came to was Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And he was talking about how a worldview has to pass a really comprehensive test. First, the two big questions that it has to have is, is correspondence and coherence. Correspondence and coherence. Is it corresponding with reality? Meaning, does the claims that it make actually prove out historically mm -hmm. true? Yeah. I'll give you an example of that. Islam in the Quran, they are the one place that says that Jesus didn't die. Wow. He says he came close to dying, but he didn't die. Mm -hmm. Well, like I said in the past, Jewish historians, secular historians, yeah. pagan historians, uh, ancient historians, Christian historians, we all say that Jesus died. So right there we can say, mm. that, ah, it, does it have correspondence? Mm. And then coherence. Once we put all of the claims together, is it coherent? Mm. Then from there we can move on to a few different questions. First and foremost, does it have logical consistency? Each single answer has to logically connect and mm. be logically consistent. Next, we have to make sure, is it empirically adequate? In a sense, can we measure it historically? And yeah. like we said in the past, we can measure things historically. Yeah. 
And so many people who say, well, you can't prove it by the scientific method. No, you, you can't prove history by the scientific method. It's not repeatable mm -hmm. and observable by being repeatable. Mm -hmm. So we have to use historical methods. Mm -hmm. So then from there, we also have to ask experiential relevance. Is it actually relevant for me today? Yeah. Or is it just some outside claim? A lot of people say, well, I think that the spaghetti monster is true. <laughs> well, does that actually have experiential relevance? That's really important. Sometimes we just like to throw out ideas mm. to try and disprove things that are closer to home. Wow. And then lastly, we have to understand that after we understand that a, a worldview is coherent and corresponds with reality and has um, logical consistency, empirical adequacy, and experiential relevance, then it can answer the questions of origin, meaning, morality, and purpose. Where did we come from? Yeah. Origin, meaning, why am I here? Morality, what's the difference between right and wrong? Yeah. Is there a difference? Jeez. And how do I measure it? Yeah. And then destiny, what will ultimately happen to the world and to me as a person? Wow. So yeah, we can understand that. Mm. Now, the biggest thing though is we've gotten from the factual stuff, like we've understood how the Bible is reliable, obviously in a very shallow amount of time. And then we've also understood that it's important to see the whole worldview. But some people have said that the Bible is outdated. That was another question is, is the Bible culturally relevant for today? Yeah. In 2020, is this thousand-year-old book reliable yeah. today? I'd love for you to take a yeah, shot at that that's a, that's a great question. Thank you for whoever that is. If you're watching, great, great question. Is the Bible culturally outdated? Now, I think a lot of this question has to do with how we view the Bible. When we open the book, what are we looking for? How are we approaching this book? I'd like to suggest there, there's five kind of common approaches to how we read Scripture. I think the first one is pretty normal. We read it like a textbook. We're reading it for information. You open it up, Genesis 1-1. Oh, so this is how you know God created the heavens. Okay, this is all the historical stuff. We read it like a textbook looking for facts. Now that's partly true. All of these are partly true, um, but they don't really capture the full thing. I'm going to reveal that a little bit at the end. So a lot of us read it like a textbook. A lot of us read it like a cookbook. <laughs> We're looking for formulas. I'm not a very good cook, so I don't read a lot of cookbooks. Yeah. But we read for formulas. Okay, so if, if I do this, then, I, then God does this. Okay, so if I have this much faith, then God will do this in my life. And we just see that like, you can't read the Bible that way. You'll find inconsistencies that way. Uh, a lot of us read it like a coffee table book. You know, we, we, got, we got our nice pour over from Loyal open, and, we, and we, uh, we open up the scriptures looking for something that's going to inspire us, make us better people, make us more achievers. But we also can't read the Bible that way. I don't know if you've ever tried to like, read through the genealogy for inspiration, the genealogy of Jesus. This was the son of this, the son of this. It, you're not going to see that on Instagram. Hashtag not blessed. Like that's not that's not what's going to happen there. Uh, fourthly, we read it like a magic book. You know, we read it for secret power. Okay, um, I need this supernatural result in my life. I'm looking for this existential peace. So, you know, what, what's like the formula in the Bible to find that existential thing? But that's not what what the Bible is because it's rooted in reality as well. So once again, partly true, but not the whole thing. And, and, and fifth and finally, we read it like a rule book. And I know for me, I'm so guilty of this where I just open the scripture and okay, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? What's the Christian thing to do? What's not? And a lot of the times when we're thinking about culturally outdated, we're, we're approaching it from the rule book yeah. perspective. Of, okay, so that wasn't okay, you know, 2,000 years ago, but like it's 2,000 years later, America, it's got to be different. But this isn't how we're supposed to approach scripture. In fact, I'd like to suggest to you to think about this, that we are meant to read scripture relationally and narratively. Amen. 
You see, the relational side of it is the author is actually letting you know all about who he is through the story. So for example, if Pastor Chase and I were at coffee and I asked him to tell me some of his, some of his background, some of his story, where he came from, where he went to school, some exciting moments in his life, I would get to know a lot about Chase the storyteller through his life. Yeah. Without him just saying, okay, like these are the facts about me, he would tell me through the story and the way he tells the story, the way the story unfolds, I would say, oh, I think I'm picking up these things about Pastor Chase. It's the same thing in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God is revealing himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's revealing himself throughout all of scripture. And that's what scripture is meant to be. Oh, God, who are you? What is your character like we see it relationally and we see it narratively. This is the story of a God who loves people and he, and he creates this perfect world and sin perverts it and God is on a mission to redeem and to restore. So he sends Jesus, Amen. born of the Virgin Mary, you know, fully God, fully man, lives a perfect sinless life, dies a sinner's death and is raised to life three days later and the Holy Spirit empowers the church to fulfill the Great Commission. This is a story. It's not formulas. It's not even just inspirational content. This, the Bible is a story and that's how we have to see it. Now, this is important because what transcends culture and time period, what, what, what unites the, the Roman background or the American background from years and years, what, what transcends all of that is it's the same God in control Amen. of it all. And it's the same sin that plagued Adam and Eve, the, the, the sin that all of humanity carries. It's the same God, it's the same sin, but lastly, it's the same Savior. The same Savior. You and I, you, we're all in need of the same Savior. 2,000 years ago, Christ dying on the cross, man, it covers the multitude of sins that, that I've committed, that, that we have committed as a people. It's this, this, this Bible connects to us now because it's the same God and same sin and the same Savior. So let that be an encouragement to you as you open the book. This isn't about you, but this is ultimately about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, not 2,000 years ago, not today, except through Jesus. This is what unites all of the Bible to today. Yeah, and as we finish this series, as we continue in it, I want to encourage you with Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Yeah. You will. Some people who say that there's not enough evidence for God or this or that, that's because they're not seeking with all of their heart. Mm. We have to believe plus receive, and that makes us become a child of God. Mm. So we can try and do all of this, or we can just believe and pretend that there's no facts. Well, there's both. And that's what makes us become a child of God. Mm. So I'm looking forward to this series, guys. God bless.